I think that's entirely false. The metaverse, doesn't that date back to like Snow Crash or something from like the 70s or 80s? Whatever. My point is that we were <laughs> Whatever. I mean, uh, that's not a fact. And my point is that I'm right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 71, recorded on March 27th, 2022. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we talk about APL, COBOL, BASIC, and we recap the 2022 GTC conference and Functional Conf conference. This will be episode 71 here. We just dropped episode wow. uh, 70, so which was the programming wow. language quiz. And um, so we're we're gonna record two. This one will be episode seventy one. It we what we're gonna talk about in this one will be a conference recap um, because GTC just happened all last week and uh, lots of talks um, happened. And then also Functional Conf um, just ended, which was a virtual conference that took place on India Standard Time. So I was asleep for most of it, but I did stay up till like one slash two a couple nights and then woke up at like so six thirty and eight. This was a conference that was held in india or uh well it's held online but it 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 historically takes place in india yeah it's like they call it the premier functional programming conference in in asia but before we start doing our recap conference recap about all the exciting stuff that got announced um and the talks that took place thesis maybe not but i am submitting a paper to array 2022 Uh, which is a co-located conference with PLDI. I think I mentioned that last time, but that might have not made it into episode seven. For for those who do not know, PLDI is like the major conference for uh, programming language research um, in uh, in the CS academia. Yeah, and it's so it's being held in San Diego in June. And yeah, the paper is all about. It's honestly. I think it's like it's a culmination of like two years of me deep diving into combinators and APL and other array languages. And also, too, this is worth its whole a whole episode to itself is that I've recently done a couple really big deep dives on two programming languages called FP and FL that are from um, John Backus. And I actually remembered mentioning it back in i think it was like episode 47 or something the one where we were waiting for dave abrahams and you made me uh explain combinatory logic and combinators to you so there's an episode called combinatory logic and in that episode i actually referred to this language fp and um john backus introduced and I wanna, it i want to clarify that we're talking about john backus the uh, uh computer scientist with a ck not john backus the football player with a ch <laughs> But yes, this is the John Backus behind Algol Fortran and that won the Turing Award in 1977. And in his Turing Award lecture, he introduced a language called FP, which stood for function program, function program or function programming. And then that language evolved into FL, which stood for function level. And basically, I think it's, it's widely not known that J, the second language that Ken Iverson worked on after creating APL and working on that for 30 years, wasn't just an evolution of APL. It was a combination of FL and APL. And in FL, John Backus had these things called combining forms, two of which were basically combinators. And Ken Iverson had a paper in 1989 called Phrasal Forms, 
which he actually references the, one of the combining forms called construction form in that's introduced in the 78 paper. Anyways, so I just, I, I've always had this view that like J was APL 2.0, but really it's like, you know, we did the quiz last week. J is APL plus FL. And no one knows about this language FL. Thank you so much to Michael Garland, head of programming languages and models. He's at a senior NVIDIA. director at NVIDIA Research. And yeah, programming languages is within his, and uh, system software are within his purview. Yeah, he was the individual that put the FL project paper on, on my radar. And he was like, you should go yeah, read this. I just looked it up and like, it's, um, it's pretty obscure. Um, like there's no, yeah. like, no, there's the syntax isn't even on the Wikipedia page. And I had to like click through to a few links to, to find, uh, to find anything. Yeah. So it's this great, I was actually, so I, it, during functional conf the other day, I was having a conversation with Aaron and I basically told this mini story of how, you know, FP and like in that 78 paper by Bacchus, there's a whole paragraph basically thanking Iverson because the name of the paper is can, and some of you will have already read it or be familiar with it. It's can we be liber- liberated from von Neumann languages and goes on to basically say that like Algol and Fortran were a big mistake. Imperative programming was a big mistake and that we should all head in the direction of functional programming languages, which rely on these things called combining forms, which is basically ways of composing programs to form other programs. And combining forms is basically just another name for what would end up being called combinators and trains in the array languages. And um, so he's he calls out to Iverson, though, and says that APL is one of the few languages that is actually going in the right direction, as opposed to like Algol and Fortran. And so FP is highly influenced by APL, but Bacchus says that Iverson made a bunch of mistakes. And then, you know, fast forward... I guess, 12 years from 77, 78 to 1990. And then Iverson ends up folding a bunch of... Did you say FP was influenced by FL? So FL is the basically successor language to FP. And they're very, very similar. It's just a a few things were added that didn't exist in FP. And and there was actually never an implementation of FP, but FL was actually implemented at IBM. Gotcha. And then the FL project report is basically like a 40-page paper uh, written by Alex Alex Aiken, who's the programming language professor at Stanford. And he's uh, some of you will be familiar with that name because he has, I think it's a Udacity or Coursera course, or maybe it's actually like a Stanford online course called Cool, where you implement a programming language called Cool, and it's like the compiler's course there. So um, I, I worked through part of that at one Isn't point. That's the first one time. Of the, one of the Legion people? Yeah, he works part-time at NVIDIA. He works one day a week for us. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, well, I shouldn't say for us, I, by us, I meant the greater company of NVIDIA. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, yeah, you know, APL influenced FP, then FP went on to become FL, IBM implemented FL, and then, uh, Professor Aiken and a couple others wrote this report on whether or not this sort of combinator point-free programming was a good idea. And then Iverson, so I would love, I I don't know if it's our listeners or there's someone that I should go and be reaching out to. My guess is that at some point, I don't know where, I I have to go look at what Bacchus did with his career. But like, my guess is like Iverson and Bacchus were probably like colleagues or like, you know, at least acquaintances and met at conferences. And there was like a ton of idea sharing between the two. And anyways, so there's this just this, uh, this huge sort of unknown history. And like, it only dawned on me a couple weeks ago in the last couple weeks that my favorite paper, the 1989 uh, phrasal forms by Iverson, and I I always say Iverson, but it's actually he co wrote it with uh, Eugene McDonald as well. And uh, the name of that 
paper, phrasal forms, which was the initial name for what they would call combinators in the array languages, APL and, uh, and J, uh, trains, is clearly inspired uh, by the combining forms from Bacchus's 78 paper. It's combining forms, phrasal forms. And in J, they, they had this pattern of basically like taking things that already had decent names, but like renaming them in to the English grammar lexicon. So like functions were called verbs and arrays were called nouns and variables were called pronouns. And so they were like taking everything that already had a name and like renaming it so that it was like paralleled to grammar. You All right, you got your hand up. What's up? programming language tried to have um, syntactic elements that were that closely mirrored English? Uh, I want to say Perl or Raku. Think, think older. Think older? Because I know Perl, when you want to print something, it says like the keyword is like say. COBOL? COBOL, that's right. Because COBOL, so back in the day, um, you know, COBOL was a contemporary of, of Fortran um, and a few other languages, but I'll say Fortran because it was the, the, the one from that era that was most successful and still in use today. Um, and Fortran was a, a language designed for, for mathematics, um, uh, for um, computer scientists. Um, it was for you know solving numerical problems, or, or, or um, I want to just like broadly say like science. <laughs> Um, uh, or maybe math is a better better way to put it. So, so Fortran was the language was a language for math, and so it was natural for it to have a mathy syntax. Um, but COBOL was a language for business, um, for for programming your business logic and for doing. Um, I mean, I think if if you look, if if we were to take COBOL and put it into contemporary terms, um. It was a data analytics language. Um, it was a language for you know writing you know software that was going to process some uh, data that you have. Um, and one of the goals and intentions in designing COBOL was to make it accessible to non-math people, um, to people who were just you know maybe not even engineers, um, but maybe just you know people who are on the business side of a company. Um, uh, uh, to be able to write the their business logic in COBOL, and so that's why um, COBOL um, essentially doesn't really have any operators. It's all just English, um, mm-hmm. and uh, there. If you look at the COBOL syntax, you'll see that like it it strives in some cases to a fault to just appear to be like English sentences. <laughs> And then, in fact, there are some COBOL programs that, like, you could read out to somebody and, like, sounds like, you know, that sounds like a sentence that, like, a regular human might utter. Yeah. So, well, I think that so there's this, a difference, too. Like, there's a spectrum. So, COBOL, and I've, I've looked at some COBOL code, and I've it used to be on my language, list of languages that I wanted to learn, but then after looking at it, I no, I no longer we just, am we just in learning published it. a new COBOL standard. Come on, <laughs> Yeah, man. but, like, the verbosity of COBOL is is immense like a hello world program is like 40 lines long because you have to there's a bunch of stuff you have to set up for like every program and they they wanted to sort of like they wanted it almost to be like executable like sort of business like so you could really like like non-programmers could use it which 
I think it probably succeeded in that goal. Uh, but for folks that are trying to do things like for someone who really likes APL, like myself, <laughs> you're able to uh, express yourself very tersely. COBOL is almost the opposite of that. So, but the difference here is that COBOL actually reads like English, uh, whereas J, you know, it's ASCII digraphs. It reads like hieroglyphics. Uh, but the terminology, like the names of things they chose to sort of be like English grammar. And in between those two sits Smalltalk, um, where Smalltalk was also designed um, sort of not to, to be aimed at business folks, but to also read very, very similarly to English. And so you read things left to right. And like if you compose a bunch of unary messages, you'll have something like, you know, 10 times plus three print or something. Like that's a bad example that probably doesn't actually compile. But the goal of Alan Kay was to have a language that would be very, very easy to read without really not much knowledge of, of programming languages. And it was also uh, one of the design goals of it was to be good for um, kids to learn. You know, you know what? You know what? There's another language that um, I don't think was actually directly influenced by COBOL, but I think also has this property. And, and specifically a language that was designed originally, I believe, for beginners. Am I supposed to guess which one it is? Yeah, you are. Um, well, I know Logo was designed for beginners, but I'm guessing that's not the language you're thinking of. Logo was like a scheme. It had turtle graphics built into it. It was done by... No, it's it's an it's a it's very much an imperative language. And so, what was the what was the description? Inspired by COBOL? No, aimed not, at... no, I don't think directly inspired by COBOL, but I think ha its syntax is similar to COBOL in that it strives to be English words and sort of have a um, uh, something close to a sentence to like an English sentence structure. Um, and it's something that I believe was originally intended to be for. Um, uh, for non-specialists, for non-computer scientists and mathematicians. Yeah, small talk's the language that comes to mind, but I can't think of a second one. Basic, which I believe the B in basic stands for beginners. Really? Yeah, and I'm, uh, uh, hang on, let me, yes, I am correct. Beginners all-purpose symbolic inst instruction code uh, created... Dartmouth College in 1964, um, the creators wanted to enable students in non-scientific fields to use computers. At the time, nearly all computers required writing custom software, which only scientists and mathematicians learned, tended to learn. I don't know whether it was influenced by COBOL. Um, COBOL, the original, uh, you know, COBOL was the summer the, the designed in a very short period of time, and I have my, my best Twitter thread, um, my pinned Twitter thread is about the history of COBOL um, yeah, in like the 1959, uh, like the summer of 59, and then, then the report was published in 1960. And so yeah. BASIC came out in 64. It is possible that it was influenced by it. But when I search for COBOL on the BASIC Wikipedia page, I don't find anything. But I think, you know, I started off programming in BASIC, in TI BASIC on my TI-89 calculator. And a lot of people in C++ say that they started off programming in BASIC. Are you one of them? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we I think at one point, we, we it ended up this. coming up on an episode that, yeah, we both have a very similar, like, didn't start programming when we were six. And the first lines of code we wrote were on a TI BASIC in TI Basic on a TI eighty three calculator in yeah. high school. So, so, but then you get what I mean about this about the syntax, how it's very, um, you know, yeah, yeah. It's it's essentially just just English words. There aren't really operators. Yeah, Basic's a, a language. 
I mean, I coded a ton in uh, Visual Basic application, which is the language in that you want to if you want to program macros in Excel. Um, and I also did back when I wanted to be a little finance quant. I wrote like three different versions of a technical analysis program that like would plot OHLC open high low close um, sort of stock charts. And the first one that I implemented was in. Uh, Visual Basic, and it was it was so slow that like I I immediately switched to a different language because like it would start to draw all the little candlestick uh, bars. <laughs> it would just it would take like ten seconds to render you know the two hundred different uh, bars for each day of the last couple months. So. <laughs> my 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 initial musings with programming in my calculator were um, not for so noble of intentions. Um, I think the. F- one of the first things I did was there was this game that I'd like downloaded onto my calculator, um, but my teacher had caught me playing it in class. So I added a mode to the game where if you just pressed a key, it dropped you into something that appeared to be like the regular calculator, TI-89 calculator prompt, and like nice. it did basic um, math. But if you did anything that, that added up to like seven, then it dropped you back into the game. <laughs> And I thought that this was pretty, pretty damn clever. <laughs> that is pretty, um, that's pretty good. I that like is that. also very me. Yeah. All right. Well, that was supposed to be, I mean, we're almost at the uh, 25 minute mark and this was supposed to be an episode about um, our conference recap. Anyways, <laughs> we'll talk more about this paper that I was going to submit and uh, the history of APL, FP, FL, J on some other episode in the last five, 10 minutes here, because the next episode that you're going to hear next week that Bryce and I are going to record right after this is going to be a C++ interview and an actual question that I asked an intern uh, or a potential intern uh, in an interview the other day. And I had not, I've inter- interviewed many co-op students or interns in a past career, but this was the first one at NVIDIA. And I actually didn't know if this question was too difficult. And so I thought, you know, there's a good way to figure this out. I'll ask Bryce and we will solve it live. <laughs> And depending on how Bryce does, I think I think it's a great question, and we're going to solve it family feud style. But stay tuned till next week. I mean, Bryce can stay tuned for like six minutes, and then <laughs> then I'll be asking him it. But the listener must wait until episode seventy two. In the last five ten minutes, though, highlights GTC twenty twenty two. I mean, this episode's now going to be called like COBOL, AP, APL, and FL, and they're just going to get a couple of highlights and basic. Don't don't. Oh yeah, don't and basic and basic. basic. What do uh, what do you want to say? Top three things that you should mention about uh, GTC 2022. Talks people should go watch. Well, obviously, my, my talk. Unless, unless you've already seen my talk on C++ Standard Parallelism at another conference. In which case, um, this is more or less the same talk. There is some new stuff. There's some new cool applications and porting and results. And we had a, we had a panel on the future of Standard C++ um, with Daisy... Hallman, Christian Trott, um, Eric Niebler, and Michael Garland. And that was a really fun panel. I had a great time doing that. That was a good a good group of people to to put in a room and ask questions about C plus um, Yeah, I think those were the those were the two big uh, the two big things for me. Um, we also had a uh, you know sort of a user Q and A session for standard and C++ and CUDA C++ and then another one for all of our C++ core libraries. Those are always fun. What about you? What were your GTC highlights? 
Uh, I can echo what you just said. So I have a a quote unquote trip report that um, will be out by the time this airs. Oh man, so I, I forgot tra- about trip reports. You know, it's been it's been two years since we traveled anywhere. I forgot about you know I used to write yeah. trip reports. Yeah, it's and it's kind of I mean the one thing about it being virtual is that it's easy to write it while you go through the week. And I I think I watched like I don't know fifteen or twenty talks slash connect with expert panels um so yeah bryce's talk and so i have a little legend too of like a uh, good talk with a star next to it you know worth watching um there was a couple that had really bad audio so, so I, I put a little emoji next to that um but yeah your talk was great i definitely agree that the panel that you had with uh, daisy christian michael and eric that was um that was my favorite of the panel slash uh, cwe's tim costa's talk was great jeff larkin's talk was great I won't go into details what they're about. You can just go to the trip report, see the stars, go watch them if you're interested. But both, I mean, Jeff's, Jeff Larkin's talk, uh, your talk, and uh, Tim Costa's talk all sort of covered similar things, you know, the future of C++, HBC Compute. Um, there was also a fantastic talk from uh, Jeff Hammond. Uh, it's called uh, The Gears of GPU Computing. And it gives a tiny brief history of like GPU programming, but then compares like OpenACC, OpenMP, standard C++, CUDA C++, standard Fortran, C++, like all these different, you know, CuPy, the list goes on and on. And he takes three small, like, you know, one of them Sax P and then one of them's like, you know, matrix transpose and then like one other operation. So three small sort of problems that, you know, ideally a GPU is going to eat for breakfast. And then he basically like profiles them all against each other and has these nice little charts and it's it's like a super short like 20 25 minute talk uh but covers like a lot of ground olivia even when i tweeted it out was responding like shouldn't these all be the exact same and he's and jeff's and ended up replying like uh didn't take long or didn't take long for you to forget about like unified memory or i don't know there's some thread i'll, I'll add it in the in the show notes but um all in all pretty exciting also i mean the keynote, Jensen's keynote's always uh, pretty inspiring to watch. The stuff, like, you know, half the stuff that's going on at this company, I'm not aware of. And the keynote's always uh, a good way you to. Probably, probably shouldn't say that <laughs> in a public forum. <laughs> Why? NVIDIA is huge. I'm supposed to know. I mean, you're a software politician. I've got my head down working on rapid stuff. I mean, I don't I don't know what's happening in like Omniverse land. Why would I know what's going on in Omniverse land? Oh, I actually, I have a coworker who's in the city who, who worked. Works. I don't know whether he works on Omniverse still. He may be doing a different thing now, but he's uh, he's told me many cool things about Omniverse, and it is very cool. I mean, it's super cool. But like, the only time I learn about it is when I watch okay. Jensen's right. keynote. I, I, I walk back. I walk back. <laughs> I, walk I back. mean, I walk back. What I say. I know it's our metaverse, and it's going to be the best. And yeah, it's the future. No, no, it's our Omniverse. Like we were calling it that before people decided we were going to call it metaverse like we've been, we've been doing this i think that's entirely while. false the metaverse doesn't that date back to like snow crash or something from like the 70s or 80s whatever my point is that we were <laughs> <laughs> whatever i'm gonna that's not a fact and my point is that i'm right <laughs> correct <laughs> anyways lots of great talks link it in the show notes and uh very quickly yeah functional conf my two favorite talks i might well i write a trip report i don't really have time but my two favorite talks one was from uh, Richard Feldman, who uh, is pretty well known in the functional programming community, works at No Red Ink, which is a company that uses Elm as a functional programming language. And he has now recently started working on a new programming language called Rock, R-O-C. I think that actually might be the first time 
we've mentioned Rock on this programming link uh, on this podcast, and it's um, he's had a bunch of really really popular successful talks in the past, like you know why isn't functional programming the norm, things like that. Anyways, his talk he gave a keynote that the three keynotes the first was by Richard Feldman. Um, and it was entitled The Essence of Functional Programming. Uh, the second was by Bartosz Maluski, Mr. Category Theory. Um, and it was called, it was on optics and lenses, uh, which is sort of, if you're familiar with Haskell, you've probably heard of that. And then the closing keynote was by Bruce Tate, the author of Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. And uh, he actually, he gave a very entertaining talk. Wasn't super technical, but like the first half of the talk, he gave the talk from a boat. He was... In, he was in his boat and he was doing something. Have you ever heard? And we got to wrap this episode up because we got to get to uh, we got to get to episode seventy two. Okay, well, have you Connor, heard of? Now we clearly have life goals, which is to record a podcast episode. <laughs> give a, give a from keynote a from a boat. Uh, have you heard of the Great American Tour or something like that? Have you ever heard of this? I probably no, I probably just got it I wrong. Know. You're googling it right now, right? No, no, I was shaking my head. I was not googling it. Um, then I realized this is a podcast, so shaking my head does not does not really help the listener. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's the Great American Loop, but basically, it's this it's this loop you can take by boat. That I mean, you can start anywhere on the loop, but it goes actually by Lake Ontario and Toronto through the Great Lakes, down through like Chicago, Illinois, all the way down to the bottom of America, out through some state down there, around the you know Florida wait, wait, Gulf. Wait. Which state, Connor? I don't know. I, I don't think it's Texas. What's next to Texas? Louisiana? Connor, <laughs> this is down the Mississippi, I presume. Which which state famously does the Mississippi terminate at? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say, I don't know, Georgia, Louisiana. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not American. <laughs> I hope you saved that that material from like when we recorded like two or three weeks ago where you demonstrated like enormous ineptitude at knowledge of US history. It was like there was there like I asked Connor like did the war of eighteen twelve oh, yeah, yeah. that happen didn't before air. That the didn't Civil air. War and it was like a struggle to get him to the correct answer. Man, was I right? It looks like it is Louisiana. <laughs> what are you giving me such a hard time for, man? The only reason I'm doubting myself is because you're like laughing at me, like, man, you got to know this. Well, and, but uh, like, also, I lived in Louisiana for yeah, yeah. you know uh, four years, so yeah, I've been to New, or- New Orleans twice. Look, I even say it right, New Orleans. That's <laughs> <laughs> the correct way to say it. Anyways. The point is, Bruce Tate gives a keynote about this huge, um, he's going to be doing this tour until October, and it's it's March right now, and it goes all the way around Florida, up the coast, in through, I don't know, some river in New York or Connecticut or something. Anyways, it's crazy. First of all, didn't know you could do that. Second of all, didn't know it was a thing. Third of all, giving a keynote from that boat trip, that's a pretty, that's a pretty cool thing to do. Um, so, I mean, most of the talk was about the boat trip, and it, it, was, it was to do with loops, because it's a loop that he's on right now. And like the, the Q&A, though, I felt like I was at a boat conference, not at a... It was just this one guy asking questions about, uh, you know, the, the <laughs> Garmin system that he had set up and like, you know, how he, you know, how he dealt with this and that and alligators and stuff. Uh, anyways, entertaining talk. Um, not super technical, though. But anything you want to say to close this episode out? I, I'm just thinking about what type of boat you and I need to get, Connor. Like this is, I mean, this that, is that's, definitely that's actually that's um 
That's a wow! I didn't even think about that. Like we have a proverbial boat. I mean, you have a yes, proverbial I, boat, I, and, and we, I'm on I the have boat. a proverbial boat. But how much better would it be if I had an actual boat? <laughs> I mean, this is in our future. I I now see us. Yeah. we've got the Balkans 2023 I mean, look, tour. Look, look, I am a white guy from Connecticut, so there's like some law that by the time I'm 40, I have to own a boat. No, everybody. Not the, not the case. Every like male in Connecticut owns a boat. <laughs> Hmm. I will never own a boat. I mean, I've never even owned a car. Um, I don't like, like, it gives me anxiety just thinking about having a boat and like how much work that would be. I would rather just like Airbnb a boat. I'm sure there's like oh, a yeah. what, Airbnb, Airbnb service. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's pro- there's probably, I mean, there's an app for like, like, you know, there's, there's the air, the equivalent of Airbnb for cars. It's, there's an app called Toro, which I've used. Um, I'm sure there's some equivalent for boats. Or maybe yeah. Turo does boats too if they do cars. <laughs> I mean, anyways, I'm, well, I'm, stay tuned, on, I'm listener. Googling Airbnb for boats. We'll be boating. We'll be recording an episode from a boat sometime in the next ten years, in the next decade. That's an ADSP, the podcast promise. Yes, it is. All right, episode seventy-one is over. Are you ready? <laughs> no, I am not ready. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.